Welcome to the second season of Alternative Parenting Podcast, where we learn how to guide our kids to find their own path while supporting them in cultivating traits that will empower them to live a life of fulfillment, meaning, and satisfaction. I'm your host, Efrat Amira. Welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to be back with the second season of Alternative Parenting Podcast. For our old listeners, you know this show as Marsupial Mama, and it has changed to Alternative Parenting, just because I felt that this title is more suitable to what the show really represents. This season of the podcast is going to be different from the first This season will be mostly interviews with people, while the first one was mostly solo episodes. In this episode, I'm interviewing Audra Bartlett, who is the master of resourcefulness. Audra talks about her story growing up and how her mother unknowingly cultivated resourcefulness in her by letting her try different ideas that she had on her mind, from buying a monkey to getting a William Wegman dog, working with a vet, and other unlikely ideas that she had in her mind when she was young. She shows us how the fact that her mom let her pursue her different interests gave her an attitude of, no matter what, I can do this. This attitude led her to build very successful businesses as a grown-up. It started when she opened a bakery with no money, a one-year-old child on her lap, and a small apartment stove. This project led her to buy that apartment eventually with only $327 at close. She went on to building a real estate business that was very, very successful. And more and more stories that show us how, with an attitude of resourcefulness, you can get what you want and understand that you have no hurdles, but only opportunities. I love her attitude of looking at failure as a redirection. So tune in into this episode, and I hope you find it inspiring as much as I did, and learn from all the wisdom that this woman has to share with us. I hope you enjoy it. And now, on to the conversation. Hi, welcome, Audra. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, We're going to have a conversation today about resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. And from what I'm hearing, you're the master of it. So I'm so happy to have you here just to tell us a little bit about how resourcefulness has helped you in your life and Mm -hmm. how it's impacting your parenting and your children. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's interesting that I've been it's one of those things that I have cultivated my resourcefulness really since I was a child, unknowingly that this was becoming a specialty of mine. And I, even to the point, you know, in modern kind of more recent business conversations, people are like, oh, fail, fail as much as you can, just keep trying and keep failing. And I kept thinking to myself, I don't, I don't think I'm failing. Like, what do they mean by failing? I kept just thinking like, what, what does failure even mean? Not recognizing the whole time that I just kept literally failing over and over again, but just thinking of it as some sort of redirection. I was like, oh, that that didn't work. Let me try something else. I never thought, oh, that was a failure. And so that just gives like a little piece of this mindset that I have going into anything that I'm trying to do, right? It's, that along the way, every time something hadn't worked, I just said, oh, that didn't work. I'm going to try something else. And resourcefulness ended up becoming this way that I have. It's, it's a way of life for me. It's the thing that everybody comes to me and asks me. They don't necessarily say, can you help me be resourceful? They say, I have this problem often in business and I don't, I can't see my way through. And
and I say, okay, have you tried these 17 different things? And they're like, ah, I didn't even think about that. And so it kind of started when I was a kid and I'm really grateful for my mom for this because I don't know if it was the fact she didn't know I was ADHD and I was bopping all over the place, asking all sorts of questions with all these ideas, or if it was some sort of genius solution to to get me to think um, kind of out of the box. But when I was younger, I would come to her with this, like, I want to do this thing. And she would kind of give me a path. And so one of the, one of my favorite stories about this is I must've been probably eight. It was, it was pretty early on and I was determined to buy a monkey. Now, mind you, I live in New York state. I was living in upstate New York at the time. We weren't really known for like our monkey population or accessibility to monkeys. Like they're nowhere to be found except for at the local zoo, right? There's like three monkeys there. And I just had it in my mind. I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. And so she just kept giving me these steps. She's like, okay, well, um, since you don't know anything about monkeys, really, I think you need to go and research the monkey. And so this was back before the internet, like I'm, I'm old enough to be pre-internet child. And so I had to like pack myself up and I had to go up the hill, riding my bike really, really fast. And it was to Patty Hill Library, which was the largest hill in town. So I had to like ride my bike all the way up to this old church. It was now a library. And I would like plow my way in there and demand that I see all the books on monkeys, fill up my backpack, bring them back home and start reading through them and start to gather this information about monkeys. Like, how do I take care of a monkey? What do I do with a monkey? Like, where do they live? What kind of environment do they thrive in? And then, you know, I, I come back to mom and say, I still really want to own a monkey. Like I want to, and I wanted to own a spider monkey. So I'd done enough research to assess, like I want a spider monkey specifically. <clears throat> so I decided on the type of monkey I wanted. And from that point, uh, my mom was like, okay, well, you need to figure out like how to buy a monkey then. And you need to keep doing more research and you need to keep asking questions. So imagine an eight-year-old and you're the owner of a pet store in upstate New York and you get a phone call and there's a little kid on the other end and they're very polite and they're like, hey, so I was just wondering if you guys have any monkeys for sale. And so I kept doing this. She gave me the entire Yellow Pages, right? She gave me this whole book. Yellow Pages, for those of you that don't know, is where you have all the, all the phone numbers back in the day before Google. And so I would go through the Yellow Pages and I would call every single pet store. And then every week when the classified ads in the newspaper would come out, I'd be searching through the classifieds, trying to find a, a monkey for sale. And I kept like asking questions and calling people and gathering more information. And at one point, I kind of hit a roadblock. And this is sometimes what's happening. What happens is we hit some sort of new piece of information that we get to decide whether we're going to then continue to pursue or maybe what we've learned is actually not right for us. So I then find out that um, monkeys like to throw their poop. And I, uh, I kept thinking about ways to try to move through this problem. Like, okay, I'm envisioning this monkey in a corner in my living room in a cage, and maybe I could put a diaper on it. Or, you know, like maybe I could just be really diligent about picking the poop up as the monkey's throwing the poop. Or like, maybe there's a way to stop the monkey trait. Like, and I tried to figure this out and I just recognized that like, okay, this is one of those blocks that is a redirect saying, maybe monkeys aren't for me. Maybe I don't want to clean up the poop flung around the living room and my mom wouldn't be into it. So that point I was like, okay, monkeys aren't for me. What else can be for me? Wow. And so, yeah. I just want to say that I just love how self-driven you were. 
And the fact that your mom just let you explore and research by yourself and get to the right answer by yourself. That's just amazing because I think most moms were just going to say, there is no way we're going to bring a monkey to the house. You know, it's so much mess. It's so much dirt. And she just lets you come to that answer by yourself, which is so, so mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. She didn't stop me and say, this is, no, you can't do that. And then I would have completely lost my curiosity for it. I think in the back of her mind, she was like, yeah, this is probably not going to happen. Like she'll call these pet stores and nobody's going to have a monkey. So, you know, I think she knew I was kind of like destined to not get one, but she did allow me that freedom. And so that freedom continued that kind of framework and the kind of permission to be curious to get myself to that answer continued to show up. And so like monkey didn't work out, but then eventually I was interested in a William Wegman dog. And that is a William Wegman dog is a photographer. I think he was in the late nineties, early two thousands that used to take these pictures of dogs dressed up in, in clothing. And they were these gray dogs called Weimaraners is the breed. And I was obsessed. I wanted to be the next William Wegman taking pictures of my gray Weimaraner. So I did the same kind of pursuit. And I ended up finding a breeder several states away, saving up money, finding ways to like make it happen, convince my parents to go get me this dog. And I ended up with a William Wegman's Weimaraner and took pictures of this dog across the street of the park dressed up. Wow. So it was like, I was like, okay, like monkeys didn't work out, but I got myself the the photography dog that I can dress up and take pictures of in like old vintage dresses. Like it was, it set that framework. It's what you said in the beginning. It's the mindset of you didn't fail the monkey project, right? It was mm-hmm. just a re- redirection to something that is more that can work better in your Mm environment, in your home, for your family. So that's, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think it's kind of like you had that mindset since you grew up, your parents just allowed you to, to have the permission to be curious and to, Mm -hmm. to go after your obsessions. Yeah. My passions, my obsessions, the, the newest thing. And because of that, there were, like you said, a lot of things that I then discovered truly weren't right for me versus what a lot of people do is they like are interested in something, but they don't really fully pursue it. Like step one, they're discouraged and they stop, right? Um, they, I take it to the point where I really know whether this is good or not, right? And as I've gotten older, I've refined these skills and I've, you know, I can get to the answer usually a lot quicker and I help clients get to those answers a lot quicker because I now can like almost like a heat seeking missile. Like what's, what do you really want? Like what's really underneath all of this? Do you really want that? Or is that just like a, a symptom or a sign of something else entirely? And so one of the biggest things that I did as an adult, right? I, you know, when I had my son, I was in a really challenging, uh, difficult, toxic relationship. And I ended up leaving when my son was seven months old um, and essentially had to figure everything out from there. I moved in with this woman who had a room available. Um, I lived with her and her two daughters for a while. Um, And along the way, there were several opportunities that kind of kept leading to the next. I, after I'd moved in with her, I was a pastry chef at a restaurant for a while. And I came home one day and she was like, well, um, this is my friend. She's starting, she's a manager of a new cafe in town. Uh, And I told her, you know, you can bake and they're looking for somebody to bake. And I didn't have a company at the time. I was just being presented with this opportunity, right? I was like, do you want to do it or not? And there was nothing, like if you were to look at this from an objective standpoint, there was nothing that made sense about saying yes to this. There was, I was, my son had just turned one. 
I was exhausted. I was waiting tables. I was a pastry chef. I had no money, right? We had to leave. We had to move out of our house because the landlord wasn't going to let us live there anymore. She was letting family move in. So I'm in the middle of like moving out of my house, being exhausted, the primary care, primary caregiver of my son, like none of it made sense. I didn't have money to do this either. I'd never run a bakery, I'd never run a business, but I just said, yes, someone, something in me just was like, yep, I'll figure it out. Wow. And cut to that, like I did figure it out. What happened was I just started in my little apartment uh, stove, right? The, the mini ones, not the normal size ones, like the ones that are tiny. And then I kept pursuing it from there. I'm like, okay, I need a kitchen. I met with a guy of a nonprofit center and asked him with my baby in hand. I'm like, can we rent this kitchen space? It was the size of like a walk-in closet. And then I ran my bakery out of there. And then, <clears throat> and then that led me to um, needing to have more space for this bakery. And I also wanted to have my own space. So uh, I would go past this house all the time um, on the street. Like it was on my way from where I was living to where my parents lived. So I would drive past it and I sat, saw it sitting there for a couple of years and it said for lease or to buy, right? It was like, we want to, we want to do something with this. And it just kept sitting there. And so after, you know, the hundredth time I drove by, I said, okay, I'm just going to stop. So I pulled into a little parking lot. It was vacant. I like peeped into the windows. I then on the way home had taken the realtor's number down. And like, I just said, okay, I'm just going to call and ask the question. And I think sometimes even that point stops us because I can still remember the visceral feeling of how scared I was to make that phone call. Like the person on the other end was a nice professional that was there to answer my questions. But sometimes even just making the phone call, because you know that like, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't have the money to do this. This person's going to clearly figure me out when I make this phone call. Um, and I think that's a little bit of like this imposter syndrome. Like I, I have no business doing this. So we don't even make the call. But I was like, nope, I'm going to make the call and I'm going to ask the questions. And so I called him up. He explained it all to me. It made sense for me that that place to rent was a little bit less than what I was paying where I currently was. So I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pursue this. It took, I don't know, at least six plus months to get into a contract because what I was trying to negotiate was a rent to own, which if anybody knows anything about real estate, these deals are almost always scams and nobody ever actually rents to own anything. And it almost never happens anywhere. But I was working directly with the owners. I like met the owners with my son in hand and had to convince them that like, this is why they should trust me to rent to own this house. Cause they were an older couple. They were in their sixties and I was in my early thirties at the point. And they didn't understand why someone at my age, couldn't buy a house. Like, how come you're not able to buy a house? Because the older generation could buy a house for like $50 and a handshake, right? <laughs> People are buying houses left and right. We all know about like economic system in America is very different than it was 30, 40 years ago for purchasing houses. So I convinced them like, I'm going to get my credit right. Like my credit wasn't at a place that I could buy a house. I'm going to get my credit right. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do all these things. And they agreed. And they agreed to let me move in there. They agreed to let me and my dad come in there with um, things we found at like the architectural salvage and reuse center and off of Craigslist pieces for a bathroom, right? Everything was salvaged except for a little bit of two by fours, some piping and a new toilet. I did splurge on a new toilet versus a used <laughs> toilet, but <laughs> we put a kitchen in, we put a bathroom in, I ran my bakery out of there for a couple of years um, and eventually got to the point where I then purchased this house um, with all the rent going towards the purchase of the house, I got two grants, a $30,000 grant and a $10,000 grant, because I just kept 
asking, I kept saying, what resources, what resources are out there? Like, how can I make this happen? And I still, to this day, like in the midst of it, we can, we have these points where we really doubt ourselves. Like I was already living in this house thinking, I don't know even how I'm going to, because I still had to get a mortgage, right? I still had to get to the place where I got a mortgage and bought the house from these people after renting it for two years. And so I'm living in there and starting to doubt, like, am I going to be able to do that? Like, is this like, did I put this kitchen and bathroom and do all of this? And then I'm not going to be able to walk away with this house. Where I remember my best friend at the time, like where this belief has to kick in that you got to keep moving forward. She had me stand in the middle of the house it was like late night she's like you can do this you can absolutely do this and she had me be like I'm Audra Bartlett and I own this house like screaming in the middle of my house like she's like kept like and it makes me like want to cry I'm like getting chills right now because I was just like like she's like you gotta get into belief and I'm just screaming and screaming in the middle of my house right and so I did right and I did and the coolest part of this is that I bought brought a check for $327 to my clothes, like unheard of, right? Because I'd gotten all these things put into like the resources. I went through hoops to get there, took 120 days to close on it, which is like really long time in this state, right? Wow. <laughs> but yeah. I got there. There is nothing that makes sense about those decisions but it's just like a very deep gut feeling that you're going in the right direction, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's the sense of belief. You're, you just, you're believing that you're going to be okay. You will, you're believing that you can handle it, that you will, you will figure it out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was wondering where did all that drive come from? Like how, what did you do with all those uh, doubtful voices in your mind? Well, I think that there's a couple of things like as a kid, obviously we talked about how my mom kind of modeled this pattern of curiosity to pursue. Um, and then I also, both my parents were entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So I saw them as just people who ran businesses and figured it out, right? We had conversations around like some of the things in, in business or, you know, sometimes I knew money was tighter than other times. Um, sometimes I knew my mom had, my mom was a piano teacher and she had less students and more students. And I could see like, you could see like we didn't have as much money when she had less students versus more students. Right. And the time freedom that allowed my dad was a, a mechanic for a long time, but then he had his snow plowing company and then eventually had a landscaping company. Um, and so I was always just like witnessing <clears throat> a different way of living and exploring. Um, I, I can't pinpoint exactly where this kind of like tenacity came from, but I think it was just in this constant encouragement of you can do anything you want to do. Right. And that was told to me, like, you can do anything you want to do. And they didn't, you know, there, there was some messaging around what my mom, you know, thought was a good idea versus not a great idea. Right. But there wasn't a lot of messaging around, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer, or a, you know, whatever it is, there was just try it out. See if you like it. I even remember, uh, I at one point wanted to be a veterinarian. I was 13 ish years old. And my mom had me um, go and she, she arranged, she knew somebody that knew somebody that was a cat veterinarian. And so she arranged for me to go and do a whole day shadowing this vet and to see if like, okay, you really want to be a veterinarian, go spend the day with this vet and see if this is what you really want to do. And after seeing the first like spaying surgery, uh, I decided it wasn't like I almost passed out in that room seeing this woman cut the belly of the cat open. I was like, Woo, is this what I do all day? Like, <laughs> like it was like, it was like, eh, it's 
terrifying. I don't want to cut the belly. You were, you know, kids want to like pet the cats. They don't want to cut the bellies open. And I was like, okay, well, this is real life. Right. And so it's, you know, I always see it as like, we have to first like see that there's a vision at all, right. We can envision that like, I could envision, like I could have a house, right. Give myself Mm -hmm. permission to have that initial curiosity, like, oh, I could have a house. Right. And then you have to then pursue it enough to see if it's for you, right? Is it now for me through this research? And then you get to ask yourself at that point, like, how can I step into this belief? And the belief, I think, is the question you're asking about. And that's the point of like, I do and have done, you know, not as a kid, because I think as kids, we have this often this like, um, you know, this creativity and this unbridled belief until somebody tells us we don't, right? We can't, you know, the kids are running around being like, I can be an astronaut. I can be an actress. I can be a, they, they have ideas. And until somebody, uh, a well-meaning adult is how I refer to them as, right? that tells them, no, no, that's, that's not possible for you. And so it's connecting again to that. I'm, I can imagine anything. And if I can start to believe it and what as adults we have to do is start to unpack the beliefs that we've accumulated, right. About what those limits are. Yeah. Yeah. I love your story about the vet. I have the exact same story. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. You I, <laughs> I, I wanted to be a vet when I was probably like 13 or 14. And we had a, like a local vet. Um, and my mom said, okay, just go, you know, be with the vet one day uh, and see if you like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the same thing, a dog, a dog came to do this surgery. And once he cut it open, I just fainted. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So then I understood, okay, maybe this is not for me, but I gave it, Uh I gave it a few more chances, but, but I really, I, I, it made me understand that I love dogs and I love Mm -hmm. animals, but I don't think I'm into operating surgeries on them. Right. Or Mm -hmm. I just love Mm -hmm. taking care of them and enjoying them and playing with them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, and I love what you said about, you know, your your parents, first of all, giving you permission to follow your interests and your heart, and then also modeling, you know, in with their own businesses, uh, how, how they, how they um, went through difficult situations and figured it out along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the messaging that they gave you that you can do anything, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think that is that is so so uh, powerful as parents. And I'm wondering, um, do you see yourself as a parent providing the same messaging to for your mm-hmm. children or for your son? Or yeah, so I have a, a nine year old son. Yeah. Okay, so your son. Yeah. 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 So I would say you know, part of being a parent is also recognizing our kids' um, strengths mm-hmm. and how every kid is not this tenacious ADHD. Um, I can, I'm going to buy a dog next week kind of person, but they all have their like different things that they're interested in pursuing or finding a creative route through. And I would say my son is a little bit less of like a, a, a tenacious, like nothing can stop me kind of kid, but he is somebody that is a little bit softer. He's, he's creative. He really really loves to draw. He loves to explore his world through, through art. And I just always encourage him with the possibilities, you know, when he's getting defeated, you know, I encourage him to pursue, to find ways to, um, cultivated on his own. Like he now, nowadays there's like YouTube channels with drawing. And so I encourage him to continue to like find different teachings and hone his skills and practice it as much as possible. So encouraging that possibility for children, um, not, you know, 
start, I, one of the things I've had to do as a mother is really start to pay attention to the, the times I say no. And I think this is really important because sometimes we say no, because we think we're supposed to say no. Or sometimes we say no, because our mom always said no to those things. Right. Or, you know, it's like, sometimes you find yourself like just saying no, because you're frustrated or annoyed, or like, you can't do that because X, Y, Z. And I think as a parent, we get the opportunity to challenge our, our beliefs in that moment about like, I started asking myself, why am I saying no to this? Why am I discouraging this in my child? And it it can be anything from like, why did I say no to him buying candy at the checkout to why did I say no to us going on the carousel ride? Or why did I say no to like, whatever it happens to be? Like I I ask myself that versus just blindly doing it. Cause so often we're doing, even though my mom encouraged me, she also had other messaging, right? As all parents do around, like, these are the things, these are the no's, these are whatever happens. And we get to to question those because we want to keep allowing our children to pursue in a way that's good and healthy and safe. Um, I think another piece for me is that I always have conversations with him uh, and I have had conversations with him about what the reality is like of owning your own business. I think he gets to see the model. His dad is living a traditional nine to five and I have never lived a traditional nine to five. And so he sees this model and he's often in the mix with me, right? Like when I'm selling real estate, he's probably seen more houses than some real estate agents have seen, right? He was in his stroller in a commercial kitchen and a safe distance from things but like I would roll him into the kitchen with he's like been in the mix and we also have the real conversation about what it is like to have an ebb and flow in your finances as an entrepreneur it's not always a steady thing and so he knows I can say to him like mommy's in a low season right now I'm expecting more money coming in in the next month from a client but right now we're not spending the money on these extra things that you want because this is the reality sometimes of being an entrepreneur or taking big risks because he'll be like why did you why don't you have enough for us to go on this trip right now well because mommy took a big risk investing in this business And right now I don't have extra money to do those things, but I will when this works out. Right. And so he knows that like, this is, this is normal, right? This is not weird. This is a normal flow of what it's like to be a risk taker. And I also do not tell him he has to be on a specific path. He doesn't have to do a particular career. He doesn't have to go to college if he doesn't want to, right? He's from, he's not just with, with work, but also with religion, I encourage him to find his own religious path. Um, you know, ask the questions, explore it for yourself, and make those decisions. And what's happened is he has started to adopt the belief of possibility, and he even has started to call me on my my limiting beliefs sometimes. So one of those stories is that I. One of my goals is to be a millionaire in business, to have a million dollar business. And I came to him, I would go, you know, we were having this conversation about mommy's, mommy's going to be a millionaire. And he looks at me and he goes, mommy, you're just going to make 1 million. He goes, no, you're going to make many millions. And I was like, you're right, Sebastian, I'm playing small. I'm not going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a multimillionaire. And he's like, yeah. That's right, mom, you're going to do that. And so it's like, now my kid's calling me on my limiting beliefs, which is crazy. Wow. Like, that's amazing. Um, And I think, you know, not having everything that you want in the moment is, is that cultivate resourcefulness, you know, because if you don't have, you know, exactly the computer that you want right now, or you don't have Mm -hmm. the, the toy that you want right now, or you or you can't drive him to somewhere that he wants right now. You know, that cultivates resourcefulness and that shows him that maybe he can find creative ways to doing whatever it is that he wants. Um, 
and I love a few points that you talked about. First of all, you know, not, not uh, deciding for them on a specific path, just like your parents didn't decide that for you. And they didn't say, okay, you have to be a doctor. You have to be a lawyer, or, you know, the, the very mainstream way of looking at success. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just cultivating the belief that there are many, many possibilities of being successful in the world. Mm-hmm. And it was such an important point that you said about thinking about when you are saying no to them, because mm-hmm. I I think that that's all parents encounter that, and it, it's it starts from a very very young age, because you know those toddlers, mm-hmm. yeah they, yeah they push they push the buttons there <laughs> they push the buttons all the time, and you know I have a two year old and he's he wants to do everything he wants to do everything by himself. And I have to always think what can I let him do and what I can't let him do. And and for me, it's like, if it's not like going to kill him <laughs> or mm-hmm. injure him, I'm going to let him do it. So for example, he likes to stand next to me and cut with a knife while I'm cutting a salad. And he doesn't mm-hmm. want the plastic knife. He just doesn't want it. I got those... Um, there, there are like those Montessori knives. Yeah, for, I have one, yeah. For kids, yeah. Mm-hmm. there is no way that he's going to use that knife. So I give him the regular knife and I'm over there over there, and I'm, I'm watching him. And worst thing that's going to happen is that he's going to cut his finger. He's not going to cut his finger off. You know, it's mm-hmm. not... It's not a knife that is going to cut his finger off. Not like a butcher knife or anything. Exactly. (laughs) I'm not going to give him a butcher knife, but I will give him a knife that can actually cut the vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, yeah, it's so important for us to look as parents, to look at where we say no to our kids. Mm -hmm. And as they grow up, like, like you said, like, why am I saying no to this? Is this something that I believe isn't worthy? Maybe this, is this a path that I believe isn't worthy or that I believe that he can do better, or do I believe that it's a waste of time? So for example, um, my older son, who is almost 10 now, he's into cars like crazy. Like he can talk about cars all day. He he likes to, you know, we're, he, when we're out out and about, he's just watching, watching cars, looking for new cars, mm-hmm. and he's playing this uh, race car game on, on the computer. And he's obsessed with the game. He's just obsessed. He can play that game all day, every day. And for me, you know, I'm looking at the game and it's like, okay, it's just a race car game. There is mm-hmm. nothing that interesting interesting about it, but he's been playing that game for five years now. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Five years every day. And yesterday we sat together after the little ones went to sleep and I was, I, I asked him, what do you love so much about this game? Is it the racing part? Is it just the graphics? Is it just watching the cars? Because in this game, they have like hundreds of models of cars. And the way that they, the, the, the graphics of it is like very precise in the way that the cars really, really look like. And it's like real cars with real models, you know, all the, all the real specifications of the car. So he said, yeah, mom, I'm just learning so much. You know, I, 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 I get, I got to learn so many new models of cars that I can't see outside on the street. And he's, he's looking at the car and he's so, he's so enthusiastic. Like he's, I mean, he's, he's telling me, mom, look at this car. Look how beautiful it is. Look at that design. You know, he's so, yeah, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, it's so important, the point that you said about trying to find their strength and their mm-hmm. interest and not being judgmental about what it is and just being open, you know, to the yeah. to the thing that they love and they want to pursue. Yeah, I think that um, kids being able to, one of the things that happened to me when I, I was talking about how I moved in with this woman and her two kids And I was modeled this very, very tidy, tidy household, like super, super clean. We were not allowed to be messy at all. And I remember when my son, you know, is sitting in the high chair and kind of exploring, they explore their world of food. I mean, aside from maybe throwing it across the kitchen, like 
I I felt this like anxiety around like making sure everything was always done so clean. And the woman I was living with, who's actually a teacher was like, kids are supposed to be messy. Like let yourself just relax and allow him to kind of explore his world and stop feeling like this pressure to like make sure it's all a certain way. And so it was like, I gave myself permission to like let him explore in a more messy way um, and, and have more freedom. And, and to the point of, uh, knowing your kid's strengths, a lot of times we can sense our kid's strengths and we have to be, I think, careful to not try to direct them, uh, specifically on how we think that's supposed to look or allow them like for this example that comes up for me is, my mom has been telling me for years, she thinks I'm a teacher, you know, that like, you're such a teacher, like your strengths rely, you know, revolve around teaching. And I used to get so mad about it because I would be like, I'm not going to go and teach in a school, mom. I'm not going to be a kindergarten teacher. Like, I don't want to be in a room with 25 kids. Like, that's not what I'm going to do. Um, and, and even though they, she could see that strength, there wasn't this like recognition that like t- teaching can be so many different things, right? So like there can be the strength we see in our kid, but it might not exhibit or show up in like a more traditional path. I'm a teacher to my clients. I'm a teacher on this podcast. I'm a teacher when I speak. I'm a teacher when I go live on Facebook, right? I'm I'm teaching people all the time, but I'm not in a school. Right. But I never, you know, that connection wasn't made. Like we can hold the strength, but recognize there's so many different ways that that can actually be utilized and let them shine. Right. I think like being a teacher and I'm the same. Um, And I I just thought about it yesterday, actually, when I was in the shower. Um, Best best thinking place ever. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Where all the ideas come up. Um, But I was thinking, you know, I'm I'm a teacher in my soul because mm. whenever I read something or learn about something, the first thought that comes in my mind is how am I going to teach this to the world? Mm. If there is something that I'm excited about, first thing I think about is that is when I, when am I going to pass this information along to somebody else? Mm-hmm. And I think, as you said, that can be done in so many different areas and that can be that that we have so many different choices or options Mm -hmm. of uh pursuing the that inner drive to to teach or that um or whatever it is or that strength to teach yeah um last thing i wanted to to ask you about because i'm a big believer in in the relationship between parents and kids Mm -hmm. as the biggest strength that gives that gives our kids the confidence to be who they are. Mm. So I was just wondering how your relationship was with your parents. And do you think that uh, that affected your self-esteem? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I always think that the relationship with your primary caregiver, it, I mean, that's always the model, right? If you look at psychology, we're always referring back to like that primary relationship. Like right now I'm in trauma therapy doing EMDR to process through things that have happened to me. And the the way she, she started this erotica, erotic emotional map is what she calls it, is like going back to like the primary caregivers and how they showed up, right? And my parents were incredibly loving. They were the the type that gave you big hugs all the time. Um, but they were also very young when they had me. I think my they were in their very early 20s. Um, they didn't have a ton of life experience to impart. And they did the best that they could to kind of encourage that confidence. But they also didn't know how to help me right? Navigate the world and, or give me advice in regards to that. So like there was this encouragement of confidence, but at the same time, some of the messaging came through as like, 
they were also like, I think I saw my parents like become adults almost, right? Because they divorced when they were in their early thirties. They both found partners that were way better suited for them. And I almost saw the evolution of them and discovering the world in different ways. And so I witnessed that, but I didn't necessarily get taught a lot of ways to interact with the world. So some of the messaging that came in was some of, I think, their fear messaging or the messaging around like, we want to make sure that, you know, you can do anything, but also like, we really want you to have a secure income or you can do anything, but like, you have to go to college or you can do, you know, so it was like, they still didn't fully know how to to navigate that as many parents do. Um, so I think it was like both sides of the coin. And I had to, as I got older, decide which I wanted to really pursue. And entrepreneurship is not right for everybody. Like it takes a certain kind of nervous system to do that. Um, and my brother decided to go the traditional path and I decided to continue on the entrepreneurial path, right? It's, I made the decision on, am I going to be the big risk taker or not? And I had, I think a little bit more of the the stomach for it. Um, but I do think that creating, I think creating that space for a kid to have a, a secure space, a secure landing ground to form that secure attachment to know that like they go out there and they make mistakes or they go out there and they try something that doesn't work or they that they can come back and they can talk about how sad they are. They can talk about those feelings. They can process through that and they know that it's safe because if they don't know it's safe to have feelings of disappointment and then you're just disappointed because they didn't get an A on something, then that's, you know, shutting them down, realizing I only get love if I get an A on something and everything else is not acceptable, yeah. right? And and that discourages kids. And I really feel like what the world is calling for is more people, not just children, adults, anybody that is able to think creatively about solutions. I'm reading um, Seth Godin's Lynchpin right now. And do you know this book? No, I know the other book. Yeah, the, it's marking. Yeah. yeah, so he's essentially talking about how through all the, through the last several decades, the school system has been designed for children to uh, be for all of us really to be uh, in industrial workers, right? To be working in factories. And that's essentially how we were all taught to think. If we as parents and still the school system to this day, the traditional school system is, is teaching you to kind of comply versus think creatively. So we as the parents still have to find a way to facilitate that. And he talks about the people that do have the ability to, to look outside of the box or be creative or kind of be an artist within work or within any space in life as the linchpin, as the indispensable person. And so it's, how are we doing that with our children? How are we creating a secure attachment that they know they can fail and come back and it's safe to be upset or safe to talk about it and encouraging that possibility and then finding ways ourselves to do that finding our way to pursue our passions, even though we have probably decades of messaging saying, no, do this path. This is the path, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that is so powerful. Um, what you said about the security, having the secure space and having the secure landing ground. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, most uh, powerful things that we can give our kids is having the permission to quote unquote fail um, mm -hmm. and, and feeling all the feelings around that. So whether mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, feeling um, the big feeling of disappointment, right? Like you said, and we as parents having enough capacity to feel that with our children, you know, and, and feel empathy for them 
and just let it be and then helping them come out of it mm-hmm. right because a lot of a lot of parents are uh, trying to protect their kids from failing or don't want their kids to feel uh hard feelings and mm-hmm. when you don't when you don't give your kids the opportunity to feel those hard feelings they're they're not going to be able to take chances as they grow up because they associate those hard feelings with something that is dangerous something that is not safe something that is unwanted something yeah. that is not accepted so or, if, or not loved right that they yes. there's a messaging of like i'm not loved because of the way that a parent responds to the hard feelings right and, and we I, as parents sometimes yeah and we as parents sometimes we think that we're um helping our kids by uh, and protecting them by not not letting them take the risk right um but then they feel like they're not able to take they feel that because we didn't we don't let them take the risk they feel like they're not able to or they they're not they're not up for the challenge mm-hmm. um and the um, feeling not loved for kids like, like we interpret of course we love our kids every parent love love their kids but for kids is the interpretation is very different so if we are um if we are let's say um we we can't handle those their feelings you know their feeling of disappointment and we're uh, disappointment and we can't just be with the feeling for them it's like my parent can't handle this my parent can't handle me and therefore this is not safe or therefore he doesn't love that part of me so that part of me i That's shouldn't hidden. i sh- yeah i should hide away i shouldn't bring you know i sh- i shouldn't show my my parents that part so yeah so that is very 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 powerful just to let our kids be disappointed to let let our kids take risks to let our kids quote unquote fail and to just be with that and yeah. be by their side when they're doing it and trust that they will find a way out of it yeah and i think that really speaks to us as people right aside from being parents but also being parents like you as as the the person in the world uh have to go first you have to go first in terms of um your willingness to explore your own feelings, to hold space for your own feelings, to learn how to have the space for your own disappointment in yourself, in others. You know, we, I always say this to like my coaching clients, I am only capable of taking you as far as I'm willing to take myself, right? That that I'm continually learning and growing and challenging myself and trying new therapies and trying new coaching and going to like, I'm continually expanding and reading. And as a parent, it's the same thing. Like I can't hold space for my kid's emotion if I don't know how to hold space for my own emotion. I don't know how to really be there as them being a a risk taker if I'm not willing to take risks at all in my own life. And, and that's not necessarily saying like, quit your job and move to Bermuda, but like that in in small things, right. And in learning and growing that muscle through you deciding to try a new class and you talking to your kid about it, like mommy's always wanted to try this type of dance class and I'm going to go do it. And I didn't tell them about, I went and did it and it was like really hard for me and I didn't know how to do anything. And like, then they see like, oh, you have to go first. You're not, it's not just the words that you say, it's the actions you're taking. Like I think of like one of the things that came in, actually one of the other women in our group called it like me audacious Audra. And that like channeling that like your passion and audacity, right? Your audacity, audacity is like your willingness to be, to take bold risks. And and knowing that like each time you do that and have a transparent conversation with your child or even have a transparent conversation about, you know, 
mommy's having big feelings today. Like I have these conversations. I tell myself like I'm having a hard day and this is, this is why. And he sees me cry or he sees like this whole range of emotion, the joy, the sadness, like he, you have permission to be all of these things in my presence. And I'm going to be that in your presence, not in a way to, to take him down or make him feel bad, but to just be like, listen, I'm human and you're human. We're human. And we get to go through this whole thing together. So, so true and so important. Um, yeah, and I want to echo what you said about us being able to deal with our own emotions. And also, you know, the, the modeling part is not about modeling how we always succeed in what we're doing, you mm-hmm. know, like modeling that we also make mistakes and we also take chances and we also have those bad days. Um, and, you know, I went, I went to this class and I felt embarrassed or, you know, mm-hmm. just being very, I mean, to, to the point where they can, where, where they can understand, right. Or have it age appropriate, but share yeah, with sure. them, share with them your feelings and let them see that you're human. You're not, you're not, you're not perfect and not every day is perfect and you have challenging moments, but that's where it ends. The other day you wake up in the morning and it's a new day. Yeah. Yeah. The, one of the things that I, I learned, um, that is so, so important. And if I could like, in part like this, there's, there's a lot of messages in here. I hope people take away, but one of the things I learned was that the, the trauma often happens in what happens after the event. Yes. Right. The trauma is in like the, the lack of repair. And we as parents, 100% make mistakes. We're human and fallible. And it's in the repair after it. You got really angry with your kid and you screamed at them and you flew off the handle and then, you know, it's it's in the repair after that to be like, listen, I'm really sorry for for doing that. I was upset about something else and I reacted poorly to you and, and talk to them like about like, I actually, I made a mistake, right? I made a mistake and I'm sorry. And it's in that repair that they also get to see, right? That we make mistakes and it's okay. And here's how to repair after a mistake. Yeah. And the repair, it makes the connection after it makes it stronger. Because mm-hmm. then they then they learn that relationship is not about always being on, on the good side. It's like, it's ebbs and flows. It's life. You know, it's like... It's two two human beings who feel different emotions, different days, go through different things in their life. And not always it's going to be easy to to maintain the relationship and there's going to be ruptures, Um, but you can always repair. So the Mm -hmm. fact that you know that the connection will always get back, the the connection connection will, will always be restored that makes the connection stronger and the relationship stronger. Um, I want to thank you so much. Um, and this was such an inspiring conversation and so many valuable lessons that we learned here. Um, where can our audience find you if they want to learn more about what you do and your resources? Yeah, absolutely. So my primary person is uh, an entrepreneur or a big audacious problem solver. So I, I do work with adults and, um, the, they, I can be found on, uh, the wild visionary podcast, um, audrebartlett.com, Audra Bartlett, all over the social medias. Um, and I do have a community that I'm building of these wild visionaries, um, that should be out in the new year. And it is for those people that want to audaciously solve their problems to find new ways of creatively thinking. The adults that want to go first and and be that model and be in a community of other people together. And then I also do take, you know, private coaching clients and have some other group programs available. So amazing. I'll make sure to link all those in the show notes. And thank you again so much. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you. You too.
Wow, what an incredible story. Here are the main takeaways. Framing failure as redirection and as a learning opportunity is a game changer. Letting our kids pursue their passions, even if what they are aiming for, seems unlikely. Because that's where problem-solving skills and creativity blossom. We need to be mindful of our no's. Saying yes encourages us to let kids find solutions that work for the whole family, while learning a whole lot on the way. Cultivating a mindset of possibility and teaching them about money and risks are building blocks of resilient and confident individuals. Transparent communication, sharing emotions, and repairing after mistakes strengthen the parent-child bond and gives our kids the home base that they need to develop self-esteem and confidence on the way to live a fulfilling and meaningful life. I hope you enjoyed this episode and was inspired to make small shifts in your parenting that will support your kids to bring forth their full potential while living a life of ease and well-being. To support the show, please make sure to subscribe and rate the show. Leaving a comment can be very helpful in promoting the show on the podcast platform. If you think that this can benefit other parents, please share this podcast with them. I invite you also to follow my Instagram account, Alternative Parenting Coach, and join my private Facebook group, Alternative Parenting, where I would love to hear your thoughts about the episode, what you learned, what inspired you, or what you didn't agree with. Your feedback is extremely valuable to me, as we are all in this process together, living, learning, and evolving. Thank you again, and I'll talk to you soon. Oh, 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 oh